So this morning, um, I'm going to begin a series of messages through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, we're going, this is going to lead up to um, Easter morning. My plan is to um, continue talking about the resurrection week after week after week. And I pray that by the time that we get to the end of this series on Easter, that you have a very, very good understanding of what the resurrection means to us, what the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has done for people like you and me. I want to talk this morning, though, about death. And I know that's something that uh, we try to avoid, we try to stay away from. But how many of you have learned so far in this life that we can't run from death? You can't get away from it. You're going to experience it. It's going to be around you. You're going to have family members that are going to die. And it's going to hurt. But I want you to understand something. We are in a cursed world that is full of darkness, sin, and death. The, um, the estimate that I found on Google, if Google is right, it says that 56 million people die every year somewhere in the world. In a year's time, 56 million people will die every year. Now let's break that down a little bit. That's about 4.6 million every month, so every 30 days. That's about 150,000 people in the world that will die um, every, every month. It's about 6,000 that die every hour and about 106 people that die every minute and two people that die every second somewhere in the world. When you get to 10, 20 people just die. 20 people are gone. When you get to a month, what did we say it was? 150,000 people are gone. No longer on this earth. And as I told you before, our life really is a vapor. We were um, trying to build a ramp Friday morning. We couldn't get the supplies we needed, but I was with them that Friday morning when they were trying to build this ramp. And um, I don't remember what brought it up, but I think it was Steve that said... Um, I'm 71 years old. Where did it go? What happened? And you know, I think that today, tomorrow I turn 46, 40, 45. Tomorrow I turn 45. Yeah, well, but even at 45, you know, I think to myself, where did it go? And you know, I think to myself a lot about death because... Uh, it's not that I'm scared of it because I have the hope of Jesus Christ. I really do. But at the same time, I think to myself, my dad retired at 63 years old. And three months later, after he retired, he worked 41 years. He worked hard. I mean, my dad, that's all he knew was work. The truth of the matter is, that's all I knew a lot of my dad was just work, work, work. We lived on a farm, so when dad got done at work, working third shift, he came home and when I'd hear his truck coming up the driveway, I was jumping out of the bed because if daddy caught me in the bed when I got home, I was in trouble. And I had to be up and we worked and we worked and we worked and then he made it to 63 and he retired. And I can remember he called me one day because um, again, dad was all about work and we didn't have a bad relationship. We just didn't have a relationship. That's all it was. 
And it, I only talked to Dad maybe on Christmas at his house. That's really the only time I ever talked to him. And then all of a sudden one day I looked at my phone and I didn't even know I had his number in my phone, honestly. I looked at my phone and it said, Dad. And I remember looking at it thinking, is this a scam call? And so I answered it and I said, hello? And Daddy said, Kevin? I said, yeah. He said, you want to go play golf? I said, when did Daddy start playing golf? Well, you know, I don't really play a lot of golf, but you know what, Dad? If you were to go play golf, let's go play golf. And then if we went and played golf, and a few weeks later, um, I, I wanted to find a way to have some, some relationship with him, you know? And so I called him up, and I said, Hey, Daddy, can I, can I buy some cows and put them on your land? He said, Yeah, yeah. I said, Would you go with me to pick some out? He said, Yeah. And we rode together, and we went and picked out some cows. And we went through and we ride through the field and I said, well, what do you think about that one? What do you think about that one? And, and, and I can remember we, we rode back home. Long story short, three months later, three months after working his whole life, he falls and he hits his head and he has a brain bleed. And then two weeks later, he's gone. 63. I'm 45 tomorrow. If I make it as long as my daddy made. My life is fixing to be over. Now, I'm not trying to make you people that are older than me depressed this morning, but... <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Death is a reality. It is a reality and it is coming to each and every one of us. And there have been so many times that as a pastor, I walked in the hospital and... And, um, and I got there and maybe the person had passed away and there have been so many times that they did not come out and say the words, they died. But instead, they come out and they try to avoid that word with everything in them and they say things like, I remember one time I walked in and it was a young man, I think he was 17 or 18 years old. And I walked into the hospital, he had had a wreck, and I walked into the hospital and his parents were there with me and the nurse called me over to the side. Actually, we got there before the parents. And I walked in and the nurse called me over to the side and she said, and I said, I'm here to check on so-and-so. And she said, well, um, he expired. And I went, my mind went, what do you, I don't, what do you mean? What do you mean? He expired. And she said, yes, sir, he expired. And I said, what do, what do you mean? What are you trying to say? She said, he, he passed away. And they use all kind of different words. Expired, passed away, they didn't make it. We lost them. They succumbed to their sickness. They slipped away. Because we don't want to talk about death. Because we know deep down that death is so scary. Because the truth of the matter is, there is something inside of us. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, I don't remember exactly where it is, but I know it's in Ecclesiastes. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. In other words, deep down, we know that we're not supposed to die. 
Deep down, we know that it's not supposed to be this way. Deep down, we know that we were made for something more. And there's this confusion inside of us because we live every day in our hearts thinking that there's always going to be tomorrow, but we also know that we're not promised tomorrow. And that's the way so many of us live day after day. We know that one day we're going to die, but then it's such a surprise when the doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, you have cancer. You've got three months to live. We go, what? Because again, there's this confusion in my heart. I'm not supposed to do, it's not supposed to be this way. But death is a reality. And a lot of parents, we try to hide our children from it. You say, what do you mean? Well, we don't take them to the hospitals. We don't want them to be in the funeral homes. We don't want to, we, we really try to just leave them behind. Can I tell you something? In my opinion, I think you're doing your children a disservice. I think to have to look at suffering and death is a gift from God. You know why I say that? Because it makes us have to face the reality of what each and every one of us are coming to. And so can I just say, in my opinion, that maybe you would be wise to... And a lot of, a lot of us as adults, we try to hide from funerals. I used to be that guy. I'm still that guy. For a, I'm a pastor and I don't like to go to a funeral. And so a lot of us as adults, we try to hide from death and we don't want to face it. We don't want to have to, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We're uncomfortable. I don't know how to be there for somebody. And it, again, the fact of the matter is, is that ultimately we're hiding from the reality of suffering and death. We don't want to face it, but it's coming for all of us. <clears throat> but I want to tell you, through the gospel this morning, and that's if we get there, <laughs> that's what we're going to look at. Through the gospel this morning, you can face all of your suffering, all of your sickness. You can face death head on and be able to know in your heart that one day, because Jesus proved that He has the power over death, that He has the power to give light because of what Jesus has done, who He is, I know that one day I'm going to be able to be alive with Him forever. And one day, if I keep trusting Him, I will hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. And so this morning, I want to be able to look at the message of the gospel as the old song says, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. And that's what I hope to solidify in your life over the next six weeks. I pray that by the time we get done, one of two things is either going to happen. You either going to quit coming because you think all we ever talk about is the resurrection. They don't know nothing else but the, but the crucifixion and the resurrection is all this church knows. And can I tell you, that'd be enough.
Or you're going to walk away from here with your faith so solid and being able to sing with the old song, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that He holds my future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. And I pray this morning that we be able to look at some of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is having to address an issue in this messed up church. Now, you remember that this church has got a lot of problems. If you've been in church for any length of time, this church has had issues and they need to be reminded of what is most important. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. And look what he says here. Or actually, go down to verse 3 with me. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Most important. Now when you back up to verse 1 in 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brethren. So here's what I want you to see. By the time he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul has dealt with them arguing over who they belong to. Do I belong to Paul or do I belong to Apollos? And if you do your studies in Acts chapter 18 and 19 on Apollos, you'll learn that Acts 18 beginning in verse 24, I believe it is, it tells us that Apollos was this eloquent speaker. That he was this, I mean, he was a very amazing preacher. And so somewhere in this thing, there were some of them that were saying, well, I'm of Paul. And there were some that were saying, well, I'm of Apollos. And it was because of the wisdom that Apollos has. Um, Acts chapter 18 verse 26 actually, I believe, tells us that he was very trained and instructed in the Scriptures. Apollos was. And so he was so knowledgeable. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was this energetic speaker. And I'm talking about when Apollos came on the scene, I mean the church was hopping. And so... When Paul leaves and he goes back to Ephesus, Apollos, in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, Apollos goes to Corinth. And so now Apollos is teaching and preaching in this place. And so we've got Paul that is left, and now there's some that are saying, well, you know, I, I, actually, I actually like the old pastor. And then there were some that were saying, well, I actually like the new pastor. Well, let me say something. There's, in, in a roundabout way, there's nothing wrong with that. I like John Piper. I don't like Joel Osteen. I like, I like R.C. Sproul. I mean, there are, there are preachers that I like. There are preachers that are more for my style. But as bad doctrinally as Joel Osteen is, I, and y'all may want to throw rocks at me after I say this, I'm not saying he's a doctrinally sound preacher because he's not. But can I tell you that he has helped my faith in my years? Y'all ready to get rid of me now, ain't you? <laughs> Can I tell you that there are aspects to his message that have really helped me in a lot of ways? And so what I'm trying to get to you is this. They needed to be reminded of something because they had lost what was most important. 
They were focusing on all the wrong things. They had gotten so distracted and didn't remember the gospel, what Jesus had done for them and who they belonged to and what that means and how that should change them and how that should make them love God and love their neighbor like themselves. And instead of doing that, now Paul gets word that, well, they are split. They're saying, well, I'm, I'm of Paul. And they say, well, I'm of Apollos. And then they're, they're more concerned about the wisdom of man than they are growing in faith. And Paul comes in and says, the wisdom of man is folly. When I came to you, all I preached was Christ and Christ crucified, is what Paul said. And then he gets a little further and they're not fighting their sin anymore, but you've got a man that I think was sleeping with his, with his stepmother and you've got the, the church is not even doing anything about it. And Paul comes on and goes, you're not even fighting sin anymore. What happens when a Christian quits fighting sin in their life? What happens when Christians stop loving each other and instead start fighting with each other and taking each other to court? What happens whenever we're more concerned about spiritual gifts in the church and who can speak in tongues and who can sing and who can't sing and who can preach and who can't preach? And what happens when that's what the focus of the church is? You've got a mess. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, after Paul has addressed all of that, he says, I see the problem. I see the problem. The reason why you're not loving God the way you are and growing in faith the way you should. The reason why you're not loving each other the way you should. The reason why you don't appreciate a simple message of Christ crucified is because you forgot something you have forgotten what was of first importance. You have forgotten what I am going to remind you of. And so in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, look what Paul says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news, the gospel, the good news that I preached to you when I came. When I came, I preached this good news to you. This is exactly how you got to where you are is you were standing and you were believing in the gospel that I preached to you. But you need to be reminded of it. And so he says next, he says, which you receive. This gospel, this good news is something you have to receive. It's something you have to hear and you have to believe. And he says, I preached it to you. You received it. Not only did you receive it, but look what he said next. In which you stand. This is the reason why you're still a church. This is the reason why you're still here today. You've lost sight, you've lost focus, and you're forgetting the most important things, and you're focused on all the things that are not near as important. Now was Paul saying that spiritual gifts and dealing with sin and leaders and good teachers, is Paul saying that those things are not important? No. What Paul is saying is the reason you're arguing and bickering over those things is because you have forgotten what is of first importance. And that is simply Christ crucified, buried, and raised again. So the first thing I want to do is look at the gospel reminder. Let's keep reading in verse 2. He says in verse 2, and by which you are being saved. Not only do you, did you receive it, not only do you stand in it, 
It's also something that is continuously sanctifying you. It's continuously molding you and making you until the day that you stand before Him and He makes you just like He is. And then He gives the reminder in verse 3. And notice what He says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's the first thing. That is the gospel that you need to be reminded of. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. You know, I think the problem is, and the reason why we start uh, losing our humility, and the reason why we start wanting everything the way we want it, and the reason we're not a very good church member anymore, and we don't love each other the way we should, or love God and worship Him the way we should, the very first thing is we've forgotten who we were. We're forgetting exactly what God has done for somebody like me. The gospel is that Christ died for my sins. Yes, He died for our sins, but the gospel for me is that Christ died for my sins. It's personal. It's not just a... That's the reason why when I'm ministering with somebody that believes they want to be saved... I want to know, do you understand that you need to be saved for your sins? Or do you just have a general knowledge that you've been taught that, hey, Christ died for sins? No, you say, well, pastor, because there have been many times we used to um, go out and street evangelize, and I can remember we would, we would follow this program called The Way of the Master, and one of the things we would do is we would ask people, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And most people are going to respond to that, well, yeah, I do consider myself to be a good person. And then they would say, would you mind if I ask you a few questions to see if that's true? And then we would take the standard of goodness that God gave. Because let me tell you something, folks, that's the problem with our nation today. Everybody has their own standard of what goodness is. And when there is no absolute truth of right or wrong, there is no right or wrong. Everybody just does whatever's right in their own eyes. But God gave us a standard to show us this is what goodness looks like. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make graven images to worship. Don't lie. Anybody in here ever told a lie? Don't steal. Anybody in here ever took anything that doesn't belong to you irrelevant of its value? Do not look on another human being to lust after them in your heart. I'll leave that one alone. Do not covet what your neighbor has. Anybody ever looked at something and said, boy, I wished I had that. We're guilty. And you say, well, that don't sound like a big offense to me. Well, now the problem is you don't know who God is. You don't understand that His standard says that is an infinite offense against an infinite holy God. James said, if you broke one of those, you have broken God's law. Now, I know a lot of people interpret that and say if you broke one, you've broke all of them. No, that's not true. Just because you murdered don't mean that you uh, committed adultery. 
But what it does mean is God's law is a standard of goodness. And either you meet the standard or you don't. And so either you have fully fulfilled the standard of goodness or you cannot say you are good. And so what we have is that we need to remember who we are. That in the eyes of God, His standard of goodness is so high. His standard of holiness is so high that when all you ever did in your life is just told one little white lie or just took a piece of bubble gum. I mean, I didn't really do anything that bad. But God's standard is so high that God says, in order for that to be made right, it would take you in an infinity to pay for it. It will take you an eternity of suffering to pay for the wrong you have committed against me because I created you for something better. And instead of leaving you in that place of experiencing eternal suffering, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to pay for that offense. Because that was the only blood that was good enough to be shed to cover the sin of the world. And when you don't know who you are, and when you don't understand what you deserve, and when you forget what God has done for you and what He has saved you from. And I know I use this example a lot, but it's one that I remind myself of. I think if you want to understand just a little bit of what the suffering of hell will be like, the Bible says that the wrath of God is being revealed on this world right now. So in other words... When you experience suffering in this world, you're experiencing just a very small glimpse of the wrath of God. Just a small glimpse. So I want you to think about the time in your life where you despaired of even life itself. The time in your life to where you experienced nothing but suffering and it was the worst thing that you ever thought could possibly happen in your life. And do you understand if you could take that moment and you could multiply it by infinity and you could live in that through an infinity number of years, then you would still only have just a glimpse of what it's going to be like to have to pay for your own offense that you've committed against God. And God saved you from that. God sent His Son to pay the price that you owed. And because He saved you from that, there should be in your heart something that says, that humbles you. God, I see what you've done for me. And the more you learn about that, and the more you understand what, you, what your hope is and what He promises you, and the more you believe in what He's done for you, the more it changes the way you act toward other people, the more it changes the way you act toward God. And so what I'm saying is that Paul understood the reason why these Christians had got themselves in the places that they were full of pride and full of all about me, 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 and, and instead of being about each other and about God, they had forgotten the most important thing. And Paul said, let me remind you of something. Christ died for you. 
Christ died for you and He gave His life for you. And He says that is the first thing that is more important than anything else. And He says He did it according to the Scriptures. Look what the Scriptures say about it. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, David was quoting exactly what was going to happen that Jesus was going to do. And he says here, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember anybody else saying that besides David? That's what Jesus said on the cross when He died. Because He bore the weight of the sin of the world. And all of that sin debt was placed on Him. And there, you remember what I said sin does to a relationship? And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Go to verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Look at verse 13 through 18. Same chapter. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Now remember, he said not a bone was broken. But all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Can you picture that? Can you feel that? When your heart literally just melts? My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare, and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Now you remember what Paul said? I want to remind you of the Gospel. I want to remind you that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Just like the Scriptures said He would do, Christ did it. Look at a few other Scriptures real quick. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5-10. through 10. But He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was... And these are, these are things that were wrote um, uh, 700 years before... Christ was born. I would say the Psalms probably a couple of thousand, or I say a thousand years before the Psalms, uh, before um, Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And this is true for all of us. There's none good, not one. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who even considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Anybody remember that? They laid him in a borrowed tomb, a tomb that had never been used, in a rich man's tomb. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, I love this, because here you see the resurrection. Everything is according to the Scriptures. You see his death. You see his burial. You see exactly the way it happened. And now you see his resurrection because he says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And I could go throughout the Old Testament. If you've been here on Wednesday night and you've been with me any length of time, you know we can walk through every scripture of the Old Testament. I'll show you Jesus somewhere. But we see that according to scriptures, Christ died for our sins. And then next in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse um, 4, it says He was buried. And again, you saw in 53, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He's buried in a rich man in his death. And then it says, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And this was something that we've seen, whether you went to Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, or you went to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9 and 10, or you went to John chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Go to that one for me if you don't mind. John chapter... 11, verse 23. This is where Martha is talking to Jesus about Lazarus. And she said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know my Bible, Jesus. I know what the Old Testament teaches Jesus, because remember, Martha didn't have no New Testament. It's being lived out while she's speaking. And she said, Jesus, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The Old Testament saints knew about a resurrection that was coming. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection. I'm the one that has the power over death. I'm the one that has the power over all darkness. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And let me tell you something that you don't understand, Martha. You think you know it all, Martha? Martha, I ain't talking to you, okay? <laughs> talking to this, Martha. But you think you know it all? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I love this. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's beautiful. You know why that's beautiful? Because let me tell you what Jesus just said. Jesus said, you're going to die, but you ain't going to die. Jesus, how in the world can I die and not die? Because let me tell you something. That body, that flesh, that's cursed with sin, it will die. But you, you will live. Why? Because I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And when I say to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, you know what Lazarus does? He comes out of the tomb. And when Jesus speaks to your heart and He says, let there be light and let there be life, there is life. And there will be life eternal. And He said, everyone who lives and everyone who believes in Me will never die. And you have to answer this last question. I love the way he asked Martha this. Do you believe this? Martha, I know you believe in the Old Testament Scriptures. I know you believe that the resurrection is coming on the last day. 
But do you understand that I'm the resurrection? Do you understand I'm the one who gives life? Martha, do you believe that if I tell you you will live, you will live and you'll never die? That's the reason when I was preaching, I love this. I, I didn't really grasp this the way that I grasp it today until Nick's funeral. I was standing up here at Nick's funeral and I, I realized he's not dead. I, I really understood that. He's not dead. Why? Because Jesus said, when you trust me and when you believe in me, though you die, you will never die. Do you believe this? And you know what my answer to that question is? Jesus, I believe it. I believe it. And you know what that does when I believe it? It gives me what the Bible calls faith. Faith is the full assurance of hope. I have hope. And I'm not talking about like my, cross my fingers, man, I hope. The, the Tennessee men basketball wins the Sweet Six. Oh, man, I hope they win. I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm talking about a biblical hope. A hope that says, I don't see it yet, but it's coming. I know it's coming. And I have hope. And what I'm telling you is when I'm reminded of the gospel, and that it happened all according to the way that God said it would happen. Every bit of it, whether you go back to the garden and see what God did with the animal, or you go to the sacrificial system and you see what God did with all of those animals, or whether you go back and you see Jesus in the priesthood and the way He stood between the people and God and ministered for them, or you go back and you, you, you go back anywhere in the Scriptures, and what you're going to see is everything that Jesus did was in accordance with everything that God said through the prophets of old that He would do. And ultimately, Christ died for your sin, according to Scripture. I love Bob brought it up in church this morning, or in um, Sunday school this morning. Romans, Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't say, while, while you were yet getting yourself cleaned up. He didn't say, while you were yet trying to do better with yourself. He said, while you were yet sinners and had no way of being reconciled with your Father because of your offenses. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for people like you. And then He goes on in those same Scriptures and He calls you enemies of God. While you were enemies, Christ died for you. While you were unlovable, Christ loved you. And so when we look at the Gospel, I want to tell you something this morning. And i got to wrap it up. I ain't even halfway through. Good gracious. Y'all going to have to learn how to hang with me a little longer is all I can tell you. But what I want to be able to say if in your life right now you're hopeless, if in your life right now in sickness and suffering or facing death of loved ones and there's just no hope. Now, I didn't say there's not a time to grieve. The Bible said there's a time to grieve. The Bible said there's a time to cry. So all of those things are appropriate responses. 
But if in that you don't have no hope, if in that you can't look to the promise of Jesus and what He has done for you and say, I cannot wait for the day when I don't experience any of this anymore. And until then, God, I'm going to keep my eyes on You. I'm going to keep worshiping You for Your promise. I'm going to keep believing in the Word that You said. I'm going to keep trusting in You to, to keep growing me and helping me through these times. I'm going to keep knowing that when I'm weak, You're strong. If you don't have that, then maybe you need to be reminded of the Gospel. Or, if this morning you find yourself in a, in a condition to where you're prideful, in a condition where you're of, uh, you're of this or this, or I don't like this in the church, and I don't like this in the church, and, and, and I, I, I would prefer if they did this and they did that. And maybe if you're so focused on um, who has the most wisdom and who don't instead of coming together as a body and really trying to grow together as best we can. Or maybe if you uh, thinking about instead of trying to reconcile with each other, you want to meet out in the parking lot and lay hands on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Or, or maybe you're just more concerned about who's the most spiritual and you, we need some more people in here running these aisles and raising hands and we need some more people shouting for the Lord and we need some, I mean, we, we need to have some church in here. Y'all know how it is. When, you know how, how we are when we walk out of here and we go, boy, the Holy Spirit was there today, wasn't He? And most of the time I go, how do you know that? And it's usually because, man, the lights were awesome. Man, did you see the way the smoke just filled the room? Man, did you hear the way they played that guitar and played that piano? And I mean... Uh, why is it that in that kind of atmosphere the Holy Spirit is so thick because you don't know what the Holy Spirit is? And you don't know what He's doing in your life. So maybe if you're so caught up on all those things, you're not fighting sin in your life. Maybe the problem is you need to be reminded this morning of who you are and what Christ has done for you and the hope that you have in His resurrection, and what it proves Him to be. See, listen, Jesus didn't just say, I'm the resurrection and the life, and then He died and that was it. No, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and then He died and then He proved it. And you say, well, how do I know that? Well, let's talk about the evidence next week because I didn't get to that this morning, so we'll save that for next week. But I want you to be able to understand something. 2,000 years later, you got History Channel and Discovery Channel and you got uh, scientists and, and so-called theologians and so many different people in the world still trying to figure out a way to disprove the resurrection. 2,000 years later, you know, Bob, if it wasn't no resurrection, I think I'd have just quit by now because why do I need to disprove it, right? But they're still trying to figure out a way to say, well, he didn't really do this or he didn't really do that. And you know why they're still trying to do it? Because they can't. Because as the angel said, 2,000 years later, the angel's words still ring true too. You remember what the angel said? He is not here. Why do you come seeking the living among the dead? He is risen. And because He is risen, you too will rise as well.
Jesus told His people in John chapter 14, I don't remember exactly what verse it is, but I know it's John chapter 14, but Jesus told His people, because I live, you too, look here, Nathan's on the ball, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Yet, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Yeah, but Jesus, how can I have faith? How can I know that? Because He lives. He didn't just say a few words and then go die and then He's dead. No, guys, He is risen. And because He lives, you also will live who are in Him. And that is the hope that I have so that no matter what suffering I face, no matter how dark this world gets, one thing I know, one day it's going to be okay, brother. It's going to be okay. And I'm going to keep trusting and following Him.